Guys, let's go back to Romans 12. And let me read verse 1 and show you what we're going to try to um, look at tonight. Just verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Guys, um, let me suggest that we that we uh, we look at that center part of the text to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And then, Lord willing, next week we'll look at that, which is your spiritual worship part. But just that middle clause there, <clears throat> to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, that's what we want to look at tonight. Now, guys... Um, um, if, you, if, it didn't, if it didn't come to immediately to mind, let me tell you that this is a very uh, arresting, jarring image that Paul uses here. Um, he is saying to present your bodies as living sacrifices. Do you, do you know, I mean, you, I hope you probably can tell what Paul has in mind. There's an illusion in, in, in the background, uh, the backdrop of his appeal there, is the whole Old Testament sacrificial system where sacrifices were placed on an altar. Animals were killed and offered as sacrifices. And so with that, with that backdrop, he says, I want you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The, the, um, the image is one of a body being put on an altar and being slain. But the difference, of course, is that this one is a living sacrifice. Those other ones were dead ones. Those Old Testament ones were dead sacrifices. He's calling us to a living sacrifice. He's not asking you to um, any blood to be shed. But he's asking you to, um, uh, to renounce your right to yourself. Guys, in my mind, and I, I th- I'm not the only one that, I'm not the first one to suggest this, but the, the heartbeat of Romans, of, of verse 1, is the word sacrifice. Now, we're going to dance around sacrifice a little bit and just try to fill in some of the blanks, but ultimately, the key issue in verse 1 has to do with sacrifice. And then I want to try to give you some reasons why sacrifices are made, and then we'll be done. But the heartbeat, the guts of what you're being asked to do by Paul is to sacrifice. What is he asking you to sacrifice? Well, he says bodies. (laughs) I mean, that is all of you, the, the totality of you, the entirety of you. And then he says he wants you to present it or yield it. I would simply point out, guys, that, um, this is something that you are being asked to do. That is, it, it's not done for you. You are being asked to present um, yourself as the sacrifice. It's, it's again, uh, recalling that Old Testament practice of laying an animal on the altar. Well, we are being asked to put ourselves at God's disposal. There is a voluntary submission that you are that we are being called to in this text, and that is to be done. That is to be the the the, the soul's delight that we um, 
that we voluntarily yield ourselves in totality to the God who saved us in Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you a quick story. I've told this before. In fact, I've told it here before. I, and, and, but it's a good little story. If you've never heard, it's still a good story. But um, I, I think it does illustrate the point, I hope. Th- there is a story that's told about Abraham Lincoln, and I think it's a true story. I think this is a historical note. I don't think it's uh, uh, just made up. But that, that Lincoln, when he was president, visited the, uh, the slave auction block in the harbor of Baltimore. And while he was there, he was watching slaves being bought and sold there in the, the harbor where the slaves arrived. And so he decided to enter in on the, the bidding on a particular woman. And so he bid uh, against the others for this one uh, African woman and ultimately won the bid. That is, he bought her. Once he had uh, completed the exchange of the, the cash for, the, for the, the person, he walked up to the woman and he said, um, uh, my dear, you are free to go. And she looked at him with this snarl in her eyes, thinking that here's another white man that's about to abuse me like all the rest have abused me. And uh, the thing that came out of his mouth was, Madam, you are free to go. And she said, Free? Well, what does that mean? Am I, am I free to, uh, to uh, go anywhere I want to go? The president said, yes, you're free to go anywhere you want to go. Well, am I free to, to be anything I want to be? And uh, he said, yes, you're free to be. Can I, can I say anything I want to say? He said, yes, you can say. And I, and I can go anywhere I want to go. He said, yes, you, you can go anywhere you want to go. And she said, then I think I'll go with you. <laughs> That's the picture, guys. That is a voluntary willful submission to one who has captured our heart. What is in view here, ladies and gentlemen, is not duty. It is willing, glad submission uh, to the God who has overwhelmed you. That's what's being asked for from us, guys. We renounce our right to ourself. It's a slavery to this, to this master that we have concluded would be the best thing in the world for us is to be his slave. I hand myself over. Those are all the images that grow out of this text. I hand myself over to God. And that is something that we are called to do ourselves. And because it's a living sacrifice, guys, it's something that's not simply done once. It's done regularly. It's ongoing. It's an ongoing recognition of the beauty of the master and, and the, the, um, the advisability of my being his slave. And so I willingly and gladly yield um, submission. I give up my right to myself. Now, um, this, this sacrifice, as I said, it's a living one. It's distinguished from all those Old Testament sacrifices in that it's, it's living. Um, so that means one act of presentation is followed by another and then another and then another. Um, but I sacrifice this right to myself and I do it ongoingly. I want to tell you a little story um, that, that just occurred yesterday. I, I had a luncheon appointment with a young man who's a, who's a, 
austere guy. He's, um, he's I mean, I don't want to, he's 27 years old. I mean, he's a man um, and is a college grad and he is, um, he is, um, got a business that's doing really, really well and, and, um, but he's a genuinely converted guy. And, and, you know, as a young man, he's trying to sort out some of the things of, um, uh, of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, you know, and so he's, he's, he's just full of questions. And he said, he said to me, he said, you know, I don't read too many books. He said, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't, I get a whole lot more of but being with old guys. And I thought, well, thanks a lot. Uh, um, and I, <laughs> I, I think that was a compliment, but, um, uh, I, I, just as an aside, I met a, a new woman that was here last week and she said, you know, here I was, you know, saying hello, you know, and then she said, yes, my daddy went to school with you. And I thought, oh gosh. I've got to change my view of myself, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my, my perception of myself is really bad. Um, uh, it's, no, it's inaccurate is what it is. It's, uh, all right, but, but anyway, uh, he says, I like to hang out with the old guys and, you know, and, and, and learn from them. I said, well, you know, so he started asking questions. But, you know, guys, I remember this. I do. I remember it. I remember when I first became a Christian at age 22, and there was a guy by the name of Jim Bland that, uh, who was a pastor, and I thought, you know, I got a million questions, and Jim Bland wanted to befriend me. And I, I just, every time I could, okay, what about this? And then, okay, what about this? And then, okay, what about this? And this and this and this. And, and we, they would invite us over, okay, what about this? And that's what he was doing. It's just a young man trying to sort out what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so one of the things that came up was giving. He wanted to know what the Lord expected of him. Now, guys, relax. You know, I, I say, if you've been around here very long, you know how... Little, if anything, I say about giving. Because I, I, I'm very squirrely about it. But, but anyway, he wanted to know, he wanted to be led about giving. I said, well, let me tell you my story. And so I told him my story. I don't, I don't think y'all, let me take three minutes and tell you the story real quick. Um, I, I don't think you've heard this story. This is really an aside from an aside. But um, um, when Susan and I first became Christians, we were in Fort Lauderdale. I was working with Procter & Gamble, and we had this friend, the Blands, and the Blands were kind of taking us under their wing. And so one night we go to church, you know, back when people went to church on Sunday nights. <laughs> Imagine that. That must have been uh, the last century. But um, um, so we went to church on Sunday night. And so uh, when we arrived at church, the Blands came up to us and said, oh, it was the end of the month. It was the end of the month, and we were broke. That morning, it had come to the time of uh, I, the money that was left in our checking account the only thing that was left was money that really, I thought, belonged to the Lord. And so, but if I wrote that check, there wasn't anything else in there. It was over. But it wasn't about three days to the end of the month. And we, the only thing that we didn't have a whole lot of was food in the, in the, in the house. But, I mean, we'd, we'd do fine. We'd make it to three days. So I go to church and I write the check and put it in there and say, what the heck, you know. And, you know, and just uh, that night we go back to church and Jim Bland, uh, you know, sees this and says, hey, um, why don't y'all go out to dessert after church with us? Our treat. Now, that was the key word right there. Um, <laughs> our treat. And so I said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. And so um, uh, in the meantime, another couple who was, the guy was named Balakias. He was a, he was a psychiatrist, Dr. Balakias. He, he wanted to get me over to his house and uh, analyze me. But uh, Dr. Balakias asked the Blands, why don't you come over to our house for a swim um, after church. And the Bland said, oh, we can't. We can't do it because we're going to be with the Youngs for dessert. And the Balakai says, well, bring the Youngs with you. So here are the Youngs, Susie and Jimmy Young, you know, 22 and 21, go over to this big, beautiful home on the intercoastal of a, this psychiatrist, and, and we're going to have supper with the Balakaises. 
And so we're just women and out there, you know, and I really, I, I still don't know how we got bathing suits. I, I, I still don't remember that. But we swam around and, and then, you know, they rang the little bell. It was supper time. So they had, I, I don't know how, what we put on. We could have been buck naked for all I know. <laughs> I told you it was a psychiatrist. <laughs> I'm really off the track now, but, um, we, we go in to eat, and we're eating, I never will forget, we were eating bean pods. I had never eaten a bean pod in my life. We went on those wok things, you know, and I'd never eaten a bean pod. And I was, a, you know, a Memphis boy, and um, I had a lot of grits. But, but um, anyway, so in the middle of the supper, she, uh, Mrs. Balakias leaves the table, and, and she comes back, and Dr. Balakias said, uh, oh, well, honey, what's the matter? And she says, oh, nothing, nothing. He said, well, what? She said, the freezer just went out. We said, okay, we'll eat some more bean pots. And so we just kept eating. And at the, the long story short, after the end of the supper, we were about to leave, and Mrs. Balakias emptied her freezer into four grocery bags, two for the Blands and two for the Youngs. And being the disgusting little materialist that I am, I went home that night in our little Key Palm Villa apartment and dumped everything out on the, the table and, and started you know going through it. We had things that we could have never afforded. But the, the point was that that morning I had done something that I thought was honorable to God. I wrote a check. And by the end of that day, God had said, you're going to trust me with this? You watch this. You'll never trust me in vain. Anyway, I told that story to this young man that I was with. And, and, I, and I said to him after that, I said, now... Um, and I'll tell you this too. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you if you don't give it, God has a way of getting it. And this young twenty-seven-year-old man looked at me and he said, "Isn't that a pretty bad reason to be giving? That is, if you don't give it, He's going to get it." And I, ladies and gentlemen, was caught in my own horrible statement. Ladies and gentlemen, that's one of the reasons that I don't talk much about giving. Because if, it, if your heart has not been engaged in it, then for, just forget it. I don't mean that, but... Uh, but <laughs> guys... If you sacrifice anything, and that's that's the point. We're, if you sacrifice anything without there being love associated with it, there will always be this whiff of resentment, this hint of... Gang, the sacrifice that you are being asked here is not one that you will ever pull off gladly until you are overtaken with the beauty of the one who is asked for the sacrifice. That's my point. And very frankly, you will always grudgingly give. Any sacrifice you make will be done grudging until, until you are overcome by the beauty of the one for whom you are sacrificing. If you don't, if you don't have a hint of resentment in it, then here's what you'll have. As a result of my sacrifice, I'm better than the others who didn't make the sacrifice. How much of that is among us in the evangelical world? 
I make the sacrifices so I can demonstrate that that I'm superior to the rest. Guys, all of that's, all of that's just vile. It's vile. The, the, the sacrifice we're called for is a sacrifice that, that can only be properly given and rightly given when motivated by beauty. When you have been captured by beauty. The beauty of the gospel. The beauty of the finished work of Christ. The beauty of a God who has gone to extremes to save you. Once that's done, that is, once that beauty has overtaken me, then sacrifice kind of loses its its punch. <clears throat> you know, I, I've, I've, I've told this story before too, I think, but um, I know I have, um, but... Some of you are new. I mean, um, <laughs> R.C. Sproul used to say you can you can preach the same sermons every seven years. I haven't done that yet, but I, I'm I'm working. I'm I'm thinking about it. Um, but you've heard me tell the story about when I gave Susie her engagement ring. The night, good. Thank you, Nadia. I, I, I'll tell you this story. Just me and you, honey. But um, Susie and I dated for a long time, and um, you know I was a kind of a romantic. I'm the one who saves the ticket stubs to the movie, not her. I mean. It's me. I'm the romantic. I'm the group of the twosome. But um, the, she was working. I was working. It, came, it was Christmas time. And I'd come home from school. And I'd gotten a job with Goldsmiths. And I was working at Goldsmiths and just making Christmas money. And she was working at uh, Vicky's Love, I think, or Casual Corner or someplace. Anyway, so before we went to work, we met for breakfast. And so, you know, she was going to go to work and I was going to go to work. And when, while I was there, I, gave, oh, I had it all wrapped up, et cetera, et cetera, you know. And I gave her, you know what a drop is? I was an essay. We, I dropped her, <laughs> if you know what that language is. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a little fraternity insignia thing that you, it's called being dropped. Not dropped, but dropped. Okay, some of you get it. Then, so at lunchtime, we also met for lunch. And so I thought, I mean, I didn't think I had it all planned. And um, uh, I had wrapped up my, my fraternity pin. So from between breakfast and lunch, we went from being dropped to pinned. And then that night, it was like Christmas Eve, you know, and chestnuts were roasting on the open fire. And, and so uh, that night, I asked her to marry me, and I gave her a ring. Dropped, pinned, and engaged all in the same day. And, and, you know, I just think that's the sweetest, most precious thing. <laughs> every, time, every, time, every time I tell this story, Susie says, I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> now, is she romantic or what? <laughs> I knew it was coming, you idiot. (laughs) But anyway, here's my point. You know, guys, to buy that ring, I was, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of money. I was on baseball scholarship. I didn't, I didn't, I I was playing baseball all summer, all year. You know, I I didn't have, I worked a little bit at Christmas time, but I, you know, the other guys would be going out at night and they'd be having fun and they'd be buying this and that. I wouldn't do any of that. No sir, Bobby, because I was saving my money to buy that diamond ring. And so that night when I gave it to her, I told her every bit of that. (laughs) I said, let me tell you something, honey. You know this ring you got here? I did a whole lot of denial. My pa- Guys, I didn't do that. Very frankly, once you're in love, the word sacrifice tends to drop out of your vocabulary. Doesn't it? 
Guys, the sacrifice that we are being asked to make will never come until we're the hearts are captured and enraptured by the beauty of the finished work of Jesus Christ. This young man was leaving um, me yesterday and he said, okay, one thing we didn't get to talk about is devotion life. What do you do for your devotion life? And I said, I tell you what, I'm not going to tell you what I do. Let me just tell you what you ought to do. Start at Matthew 1.1 and read through the end of John, the, the Gospel of John, and when you get finished, go back and read it again. Read as much as you can read about Jesus Christ and all of His beauty and His finished work. Let that get a hold of you. And then all these other things. Not that they become easy, but they get less hard. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we celebrate around here when somebody gives up a kidney. You know, we just had that. You know, little Carol Garrett gave her kidney up for, um, for her husband Barry Garrett. That is huge, is it not? Can you imagine? What do you think she's saying to her husband right now? I don't know. I mean, you know, they might be divorcing tomorrow for all I know. But I, don't, I don't think they are. But why do you give that? Why do you give up a kidney? But ladies and gentlemen, may I say to you, you are being asked to give up far more than a kidney. You're being asked to give up both kidneys and your liver and your spleen and your lower and larger intestines, the whole thing. Your bodies is a living sacrifice. Nobody does that. At least they don't do it rightly. They might begrudge it, and they might think, oh, because I did that, I'm superior to the rest of you bums. Nobody does it rightly until the gospel overtakes you, until beauty captivates you. I'm going to tell you one other story, and I'm, and I'm done. Guys, have you ever read this book, A Tale of Two Cities? This is a classic. Um, I, very frankly, <laughs> I, I, I could rec- I mean, although I'm about to ruin it for you um, uh, by telling you about it, but if you've not read Dickens's A Tale of Two Cities, you know, this is the book. You, you've heard of it. This is the one that starts off, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Um, you know, it's, it's about two cities, London and Paris, and in, it was the best of times in London. It was the worst of times in Paris. It's written about the, the French Revolution, about the time of the French Revolution when the, when the peasants stormed the, the Bastille and et cetera, et cetera. And you, you know all that. Do you know the last line in the book? <laughs> I mean, it's famous too. It's very famous. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. That's how the book ends. You know who says that? You know the story? It's about um, Sidney Carton and Charles Darnay. And they both fall in love with the same woman, Lucy Minette. And uh, Sidney Carton is kind of the, um, he's, kind of, he's, he's kind of the thug. But he's, uh, he's in love with Lucy and so is Charles Darnay. And uh, uh, Sidney Carton is, is kind of rough. And I think he's some kind of law enforcement agent. Something like that. I forget exactly what he does. But um, Lucy ends up marrying Charles Darnay. And she has a baby by him. Um, and um, Sidney Carton, of course, loses. But in the whole mess of the, of the French Revolution, uh, thousands, and this is historically true, but uh, thousands of people went to the guillotine. Thousands of innocent people went to the guillotine. I think you know that. But in this book, Charles Darnay 
is scheduled to die uh, at the hands of the guillotine. Um, and he's an innocent man. He just got caught up in this thing and he's going to die. Sidney Carton, the rough, tough guy. Um, oh, it's, it's, it's fascinating how Dickens does it. But he gets inside the jail and he dopes um, Charles Darnay. He asks Charles Darnay to write this thing and while he's doing it, he's being doped and he, and he just, uh, he's not fainting, he just falls on the ground. He's just, and so he takes off his clothes and he exchanges his clothes. Sidney Carton takes Charles Darnay's clothes, even has a little bow in, in his hair and puts it in his hair. And so Sidney Carton um, fakes being Charles Darnay so that Charles Darnay can go back um, and live his life and be set free. And, and um, it's, it's a, it, I, I should read it to you, but I'm not. But there's a little girl that, that's going to the guillotine right next to and And when she finally realizes what, she's, what he's doing, she says, Are you dying for him? And um, and then you know he acknowledges and tries to blow it off, and then and she says, "Can I hold your hand?" It seems that if I can just hold your hand, I can make. And she's going to be beheaded as well. The point is, guys. Um, Sidney Carton, we we are we are overcome. We we are overcome when we see. People make sacrifices, particularly of their lives, when a people, when somebody sacrifices their life. I mean, again, let me say it again. We're overcome when we see somebody give up a kidney. I mean, that, 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 that's almost unthinkable for a lot of us to give up an organ. What the gospel tells you is that there was a sacrifice that was made for us that is supposed to do, supposed to be a the motive behind all of the other sacrifices that we're called to make not duty by the way duty's not a bad word but the but the motive is not duty the motive is not law. The motive is beauty. The motive is gratitude out of what I've tasted when I understand something about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Guys, the, the sacrifice that you're being called to in verse 1, the, the sacrifice is only seen in its perfection in what Jesus Christ has done for you, not what you've done for Him. His sacrifice was a sacrifice of atonement. Our sacrifice is one of praise and thanksgiving. But the sacrifice that any Christian makes is always going to contain a hint of resentment or a hint of superiority unless and until we get captured by beauty. 
when the beauty of the gospel enraptures you, ladies and gentlemen, then the sacrifices called for become easier to make. Our Father, I do pray that you will um, remind your people that what you're after is not, not our money, not even our time. It is, it is the voluntary yielding of self that you're after in all of us. And um, Lord, perhaps the explanation for the little sacrifice that is made is that we haven't yet been, we haven't yet fully enjoyed the gospel that describes the finished work of Jesus Christ for us, people who didn't deserve anything but your condemnation. So Father, make us experts in the gospel. Make us experts in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Make us people who have tasted something deep and rich and pure and beautiful in the hope that that might prompt us to heed the exhortation and admonitions of the first verse of chapter 12 of the book of Romans. A call for us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable. We commit ourselves to that, Father, and we do so in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.